0: Um, It is a joy to be with you this morning. My name is Hunter Bailey, and I am a church planter from Fayetteville, Arkansas, hog country, woo pig. Um, And uh, it is a delight to be with you today. I'm a friend of Jimmy's uh, and a friend of several of the other pastors, Jim and Chris and others uh, in this congregation. Um, And it's a delight to be with you, to to rejoice with you. And we're going to talk this morning about the kingdom of God. Uh, we just heard sung for us uh, the fact that we're talking about uh, the idea that Jesus uh, is in this line of King David. And one of the things that Jim mentioned a little while ago was the fact that um, we are longing for Jesus to come and bring his peace. And, um, and peace, we need to remember, is not merely the absence of conflict, Okay, I have children in my home and sometimes I'm like, oh, I just need a little peace, um, uh, meet peace and quiet. Quit talking. Um, that is not the biblical concept of peace. Uh, the biblical concept of peace is so much more holistic, so much more grand than simply uh, the lack of arguments. Uh, it really is the presence of Christ in bringing things back to wholeness, to restore all that the curse has fractured. And so when we talk about come, O come, O king, we're really talking and invoking and praying and singing that Jesus would come and restore. And the paradigm that Jesus used to teach us about that was the kingdom of God. Um, the kingdom of God, maybe you don't go around talking about kingdoms very often. If you are, it's maybe weird in your community. But, um, as, uh, Christians, we should be very familiar with the language of kingdom. Jesus celebrated kingdom. He said that he himself is the presence of the kingdom of God, but that he was also through his people extending the kingdom into the world. And we're even told that Jesus, from the time he was resurrected to the time he ascended, um, taught his disciples about the kingdom of God. So as Christians, we should have kingdom vision. And when we talk about kingdom, we're really talking about the presence of Christ to renew God's people in the world. It's really broad. uh, That Christianity is not merely a transaction of grace to give you your ticket out of hell into heaven. That's a beautiful reality, but that is a tiny sliver of the majesty, and as we'll look today, the banquet of God's grace. And... um, when We're going to look at Luke 14. And we're going to look at Jesus giving a, uh, some commands first. And then he's going to give a parable about the kingdom of God. And he's going to equate the kingdom of God. That presence of Christ to renew his people and restore the world. Um, he's going to use a feast as an illustration of how we relate to God how he relates to us, and then how do we relate to the world. He's going to use this banquet of his grace. One other comment before I read this passage for us, uh, a contextual note, um, is that uh, Jesus is eating with the Pharisees. Jesus was an equal opportunity uh, dinner guest. Um, he, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just down. Our church is just down, uh, from the university of Arkansas and college students will eat anything anywhere. Um, if you put free food on something, they're there. Doesn't matter if it's at a haunted house, uh, they're going to take you up on the offer. And, um, and Jesus is kind of like that. Uh, Jesus will eat with anyone. He eats with the socially marginalized, the morally marginalized, He eats with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, and he also eats with the social elites and the religious elites like the Pharisees. Now, we know many of us who have read our Bibles, we know the Pharisees are the bad guys in the Bible. Well, in this culture, that was not evident. If your son grew up to be a Pharisee, you were pumped because it was a position of honor in God's kingdom. But what Jesus is going to do at this dinner party is he's going to flip the script. He's going to say we no longer operate out of the traditional worldly way of shaming people below us and honoring people above us in order to make our way in the world. That's the normal way the world worked. And by the way, that's what the Pharisees were used to. The Pharisees took the normal order of the world, the shame and honor culture of the world, and then they sprinkled a little religion on top, mixed in a little ritual, and then they tried to present it as something holy. And Jesus is going to undo that, He's going to give us a different paradigm of what it looks like for us to be in the presence of God, to feast with God, and to be with one another. So let me read for us Luke 14, 7 to 24. This is God's word. Now, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, uh, when you are invited to someone, uh, excuse me, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lower places, lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your neighbors, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid in the resurrection of the just. When one of those who was reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, um, uh, I, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry. And said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and the cities and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servants said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servants, then go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited, shall taste my banquet. Thus far, God's word, may he add his blessing to it. When's the last time you were in a middle school cafeteria? Some of you have been there last week. Um, It's an intimidating place. For most of us, even if we could channel our 12-year-old self, we would not do that, right? Right? Um, because uh, in elementary school, uh, at least in my elementary school, uh, when you walked into a, clust- uh, a, a, a lunch room, there was no decision to be made. Uh, you sat next to Hunter Bailey, John Armstrong, and Yolanda Beard. Go sit down and don't talk, which was my problem. Um, Or when you're in high school, you generally have the idea of like, okay, maybe my social dynamics are a little more developed, so I don't walk in quite intimidated. Middle school, it's a free-for-all. It's dog-eat-dog. Whether you walk in with the tray or the cool little bag, you're immediately scoping out, where's my position in this food chain? Can I sit with the cool kids? Maybe I could just sit near the cool kids and be associated with the cool kids. Hey, yeah, that was really funny, Johnny. That didn't work. It's an intimidating environment because it's less about the food and it's more about who you're fellowshipping with. And that's the point of this passage is for us to understand, both from the corrective elements of Jesus, but also from what the Pharisees were doing, is they were basically, have in your mind, high-end lunchroom. That you got invited to a feast, and it immediately began with all these posturings. Oh, do I get to sit closest to the host, or do I have to sit down the line? And Jesus is going to flip that on its head. Because grace turns everything upside down. The grace of the gospel is not merely a tweak to the normal systems of the world. The grace of the gospel is something radically alternative. Totally different. You would never come up with the scheme that Jesus comes up with working from the normal ways life works. And we are to be that people. We don't just sprinkle a little Jesus on top, slack an ithus on something, put on a promise ring and go about our business in an otherwise worldly way. God is calling us as kingdom people, as his people at his banquet of grace to fellowship with different types of people than our normal social structures would demand. And it's something we need to take seriously here today, that Jesus is inviting us as participants in the kingdom of God into an alternative feast, a celebration, a banquet, not of our honor and their shame, but of grace alone that calls us here. Not of social and theological elites where the marginalized and the outcasts are excluded, but a feast which switches the order where the forgotten are remembered, where the broken are received with a healing embrace, and where those who formerly did not belong are now welcomed. Is that who we are? Is that who Grace Ivan is? Does somebody walk in this door and go, whoa, this is an interesting group of people. I wonder how they got together. It must be by grace alone. That's the characteristic that Jesus is telling us to operate out of. And He's going to outline this banquet of grace. I want to look at three things. I want to look at the economy of grace, I want to look at the warning of grace, and then I want to see the future of grace. The economy of grace, and we're going to spend most of our time here, but. The economy of grace, when you think about economy, we think about our resources and how we invest those resources for the particular returns that we desire to see, okay? Um, But you realize that the church has an economy also, that we've been given talents, we've been given time, we've been given capacities for compassion and love. We've been given grace that we might be grace extenders. And so the economy that the church works out of is not like the economy of the world where we only dole out to those who deserve it because none of us deserve it. You see, when we look at this passage, we see the economy of grace played out in a couple of different ways. First, who's there, and then how they are there, how we function together. Who is there, we see. We see in verse 13, you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And then he extends that in verse 23 to the people from the highways and the hedges. Not the people that you would want At your wedding feast. But Jesus says, Come in. Because he said, If you're gonna belong in this place, if you're gonna belong to this group of people, think in your mind Toy Story. The mutant toys under Sid's bed, the discarded, the abused. The forgotten, the ugly, they belong to Jesus. Not the toys, you as a people. Or maybe it's Rudolph's claymation Christmas that's in your mind. Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, had a very shiny nose. Uh, you know that claymation story that comes on all the time and Rudolph, I don't know if you know this, but reindeer don't have noses that shine red. And so he didn't get to play in the reindeer games. He was excluded. In that great claymation Christmas um, uh, story that he's involved in there, uh, uh, Rudolph doesn't feel like he can be accepted by the normal culture that he's involved in that's by strong reindeer that don't have red noses. And so what does he do? He jumps on an iceberg and he sails to the island of misfit toys. Welcome to Gracie Van. You're the island of misfit toys. You are a people called by grace alone. You belong here together in Christ, not because you are honorable, but because you are welcomed by the host. You see, I think there's something specific about this list of people that reminds us, we number one, we should be looking out for this specific group of people. You should have poor people in here. You, you need to think about what that looks like in this community. And I don't say that to shame you because I asked my own affluent community the same question. We got to live in the tension of who Jesus says belongs in here. And if they're represented among us. Are they welcome here? Can we make a space? Can we sacrifice? But there's also an element here, not just of the poor and the lame, the, the disabled. I heard you had a wonderful disability ministry. Uh, we, we partner uh, with a group called 99 Balloons in our own church to work with community and family of kids with disability. That's an awesome ministry. They will change your life and bless you. And God is saying, I want these people to be a part of your community because they will bless you because they are honored, not in the traditional shame and honor culture, but because they demonstrate grace alone. You see, these people who are invited to the banquet of God's grace demonstrate the grace of the gospel more than people like you and me who may have slipped in on our own merit, supposedly. And what we see in this list is a dependent people. maybe we're confused by the modern idea of the lame and the blind um, and the outcasts and the crippled and the and the poor uh, or those who are um, uh, you know. People on the outsides and the outskirts, the unclean in the community, the Jewish community, and Jesus welcomes them in. Maybe we're confused because we're in an age of social care and of disability access and we kind of blindly forget those people. But what you don't need to miss is this. In that day and age, those people died without others. They were a dependent people. And God is saying, if we belong to Jesus, we are dependent. Christian maturation, growing up in Christ, is not Jesus giving you a few tips for success or giving you a few theological ideas to impress people with, but giving you himself. We are a dependent people. It's grace alone that calls us in. I know some of you probably have the poem Footprints in the Sand on your ha- in your house or your grandma cross-stitched it somewhere. That's awesome. We love grandmas. We love cross-stitches. That's great. But that poem robs us of the beauty, beauty and majesty of our dependence. Because the way that poem works oftentimes, or the way the poem goes is, there were two sets of put, footprints, me and Jesus. And then one uh, for a little bit at a time. And the guy in the poem looks at God and goes, why did you leave me? Why is there only one set of footprints in the sand? And God answers him, oh, that's when I was carrying you. And it kind of touches our heartstrings. But the problem in light of what we're seeing in the kingdom community is there's only ever one set of footprints. You don't ever walk on your own two feet in the kingdom of God. You never stand up and go, I think I got this, Jesus. Sit back and watch. We are a dependent people by the grace of God. That's the people that are called together in him. And there's another aspect of the economy of grace here that we see in verse 10 that have how we invest. So not only just who we invest in, but how we invest, which is this, we invest with freedom. Why? Because verse 10 tells us, when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that Your host can come and say to you that your host can remember you. What's that tell us about the economy of grace? It tells us this. Um, We are free to forget about ourselves because we're remembered by the host at the banquet of God's grace. Middle school, cafeteria, not free. Don't forget about yourself. You're like, oh, I gotta look out for number one here. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the church works the same way. But in God's kingdom, he's saying no. To use Tim Keller's little book, you have the freedom of self-forgetfulness by the grace of the gospel. Why? Because you are remembered by him. I can forget the posturing ways of the world and just rest in the care of the host. There's another aspect of how we invest in the the economy of grace here too in verses 13 and 14. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. This is not how I want my 401k to work. I like Low investment, high return. I like more bang for my buck. But the economy of grace in the banquet of God's grace is not always that efficient. That we need as a people that are clumsy, misfits, who only belong here by the grace of God, who are constantly having to go back to Jesus and go, yes, I did it again. I know I came yesterday and I said, I'm sorry for it. And I, oh man, I messed it up worse this time. That we're constantly abiding and being renewed and being received back by the grace of the gospel. Then we're reminded that God doesn't look at us and go, you know what? Hey, here's my investment in you. Here it is, don't mess this up. Don't lose it because there's no more where this comes from. Oftentimes the church functions like that. As we do outreach, as we care for people in our community, we have this kind of one-to-one idea that we're gonna invest a certain amount. We wanna be really careful about our investments. We, we We want the return we want here. But the economy of grace is different than that. That we need to be willing to be inefficient with loving people. If we're going to be the kingdom people that God wants us to have. So there's an economy of grace. And then we see the warning of grace come in. In verse 15. um, I love this Pharisee. Bless his heart. Um, in, In verse 15 he's there. He's like, please shut your mouth. That's basically what he's saying. He's like, blessed is everybody. Can we please tell Jesus to sit down and stop talking to us? We're fine. Because what he's doing is he's expressing, I have no interest. Okay, fine, let the poor people in as long as they're not next to me, I'm fine. Let the cripples in, but I don't wanna mess with that. Uh, It's big enough as long as we have separate rooms. And Jesus is angry. And he exposes their heart. You see, when the excuses are given, um, uh, these are bad. <laughs> these are really bad excuses. You know, maybe these people weren't good on the spot. They weren't really quick on their feet. But they're like, hey, it's time. The time has come. Come and feast with this great host, this king who's throwing the banquet. And they're like, uh, ooh, oh, um, I, I, I bought some land. I got to go look at it. What? I bought five oxen and I need to examine them. You, by the way, I don't know if you've ever bought an ox, but you look at it first. Or this poor wife who gets thrown under the bus, right? Um, I, I got married. Is that enough? Bad, bad excuses, It's like a young man who gets the courage to to go ask a young lady out on a date. He's been eyeing for some time and he goes up and he asks her out. She says, yes, that's great. And he makes all the reservations and all the plans. He he showered that day and everything. And he goes to pick this young lady up at uh, at her house and she comes disheveled to the door and she's like, I'm so sorry. I really can't go. I've got to wash my hair. Fellas, if that's happened to you, pull out of that, right? What's happening there? She's not, that's not a time management problem. That's not like, oh my goodness, I lost track of time. It's not a hygiene problem. It is an uninterested problem. She doesn't want you. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are saying to Jesus. I like the stuff of your kingdom, but I have no interest in you. And that is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. Because what we get in the banquet of God's grace is we get the host. We get to spend time with him. That if you have no heart for the host, you will never benefit from the blessing of the kingdom. And so Jesus warns them. But the last thing we see is this that it doesn't end there. Praise God. It doesn't end with the rejection. There's there's a next chapter. And by the way, when he rewrites the guest list and he says, okay, never mind. I'm going after these people. That is not God's plan B, by the way. I don't know where you come from background-wise. They're they're, uh, well-meaning Christians who have ideas that Jesus came for a certain group of people and they rejected him and he's like, oh no, I never anticipated that. I got to come up with something else. Okay, how about some poor people and cripples? No, Jesus is not coming up with a plan B here. He's revealing plan A. Because it's always been by the grace of God that we abide in Him. And so He says, Go and compel. I still got room. Go get them. And this isn't compelling like you try to write compelling arguments for something on Facebook. Not that kind of compel. Okay? Those aren't compelling. And nobody came in here going, you know what? I didn't love Jesus, but I read my friend's Facebook post about how uh, angry he was at non-Christians in the community. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give my life to Jesus. No, that's not it. Don't do that. This is a compelling that comes from I have tasted of the blessing of this banquet and you've got to come eat. It's so good. Grace has saved me. I have been pursued by the host. I've been remembered. I've not been forgotten. My friend told a story this week, that I thought captured this pursuit, this desire for, the, for God to pursue us so beautifully. He said this, um, his son uh, has a little stuffed teddy bear um, and, uh, you know, my children have those, uh, those teddy bears and uh, we actually, one of my sons um, has a walrus, uh, is his, uh, fav- favorite, uh, stuffed animal. And, uh, the walrus has been attacked by my parents' dog several different times. It's missing an eye and it's, uh, lost some of its stuffing. And, um, and this friend's son's teddy bear was like my son's walrus. It had been kind of attacked over time. It, it, it had had its arm taken off of it a couple of different times. The, the insides of the stuffing were kind of mushed to one side. Um, one of the eyes was missing. It didn't smell great. And, um, and the mom said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to buy him a new teddy bear. So she goes and replaces the teddy bear and throws the old one away. And the little boy looks at his new, bright and shiny, honored guest at nighttime when he gets in bed and he is freaking out. This is not Barry. So he goes and he convinces his mom of his love for that little bear and they have to go out to the trash cans They're pulling out trash bags and this little boy is just getting into the trash, pulling out banana peels and going through. It's nasty, it's a mess until he finds Barry. Barry was not honorable. He wasn't pretty. The rest of the world probably didn't think Barry was worth saving. But that little boy... Loved him. So he pursued him. He was diligent. He was compelled to go after him. That's the tenaciousness and the lavishness of the grace of the banquet of God. That God is chasing you, not because you're honorable. Not because you're clean. Not because anybody else would have any, find anything lovable about you. But you are remembered. This is the kingdom of God that should characterize grace of man. May we drink deeply from the fountains of his grace that we might be able to winsomely and truly compel others to taste and see that the banquet of his grace is good. Join me as I pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look into the face of the gospel and we are reminded that it is a double-edged sword. It is lavish and kind and good and sweet, but it also reminds us we are misfits, mutants, mutants dependent, unlovely, and yet we try so hard to prove that we are worthy of your love. Remind us of the blessing of your grace alone. And may it change us. May it change our community. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.